You're listening to the Batuta Advocates Weekly News Wrap on Desert Rock FM 96.5. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live here from downtown Batuta. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and of course, Errol Parker. How are you, Errol? Good, mate. Always good to uh, come in here on a Tuesday, mate. I've, uh, it's my favourite day of the week. Yeah, it really is uh, one of those ones where you kind of, uh, you're firing with all cylinders. I feel Tuesday. Yep. I've never really had a dull Tuesday, ever. Neither have I. Not even in my stereosonic days. Now, this week's a big week for the arts. It's not often you can say that in Australia. A big week for the arts. Big month for the arts, even. Because what we're looking down the barrel of is the announcement of this year's Archibald Prize finalists, as well as the win and the Sulman, uh, the other prizes that go alongside the Archibald. And I know, as someone who's dabbled myself, you know, with the paintbrush and the beret as a young man... Uh, and the you know the black skivvy uh, you know there was a there was a little era of art school in my under Joe under Joe yeah, yeah. you know um, I, I I tried my hand at all that it wasn't yeah. for me I you, preferred you the talk about those days a lot Clancy yeah I preferred the letters yeah, in the end but one thing I learnt back then was that uh, people in the art world and artists there's nothing they hate more than having their industry compared to sport which is why I'm going to do exactly just that to introduce. Uh, today's guest the Archibald as, as I said before the finals will be announced this week has been described as the grand final of art but my, my personal favourite is of course the face that stops the nation for Australia's largest art prize portrait prize and today's guest Abdul Abdullah has been a finalist four five, times over five times five, 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 five times yeah, yeah. five times <laughs> champ 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 uh and we're here to talk to you about everything that is art and, of course, uh, some of those big milestones. How are you, mate? Thank you for joining us. I'm good, and thank you very much for having me. Now, as I said, I, I kind of painted the art world as a uh, you know an elite community that probably uh, doesn't like being associated mm. with Australia's other favourite pastime. Which it's definitely not. It's not. It's not. No, it's, definitely. it's certainly not the rugby union of the art scene, is it? No, no. Painting uh, in general and, and all, all types of art in Australia very much, uh, you know, they're, they're a big part of our history. But, yeah, you know, you don't commonly associate the Art Gallery of New South Wales with Belmore Oval, for example. But you tend to buck the trend a little bit with that, Abdul. You grew up in a boxing gym. Yeah, that's well. That's pretty much true. Yeah. Um, both my oh, my older brother boxed, my brother-in-law boxed. So the three boys in my family, the three Abdul brothers, we all went to art school. But two of us boxed, and my sister owned a boxing gym and was married to a professional boxer who like represented Australia in the Oceania Games and that sort of thing. So I guess they're the two family businesses, boxing and art. So but that, that was over in Perth. That was over in beautiful, beautiful Western Australia. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so that is kind of example we would use for someone who walks in two different worlds you're keeping two campfires burning between <laughs> combat sports and spending hours late night in a painting studio totally like wouldn't say that i box these days but like i boxed when i was a kid and then worked at a boxing gym for 10 years in perth afterwards and when i was in art school i worked at the boxing gym and i was always a little bit too boxing for art school and a little bit too art school for the boxing gym so it's kind of a foot in both yeah. places it's kind of like architects you know, they're a bit too creative to be engineers, but, uh, you know, not analytical enough to be an engineer, but not analytical enough to be an artist. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. So would you say that art has 
you make that point you're a bit too boxing for art and a bit too art for boxing, but boxing would definitely help art more than art helps boxing if you were going to pick a career. Oh, massively so. <laughs> All the training and that sort of shit like gets you like gets yeah. you in the right mindset. But I remember being at the boxing gym and I can't remember, I was like 22 or 23 or something like that and for some reason a journalist from the local paper came in to interview the boxers and trainers about their thoughts on the upcoming election and the other fighters there were like oh, gun laws and criminal association laws and jet ski laws and then I popped up at the end I was like oh refugee rights and, and oh, I think marriage equality is a good thing <laughs> and for the rest of the week the the names that I was called. So it was <laughs> yeah. the guy that cares about more than just guns and jet ski. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Colourful. A lot of colourful identities in boxing gyms to begin with. Yeah. And, and in the art world too, to a degree. I mean, it's not full of squares either. Did you find that when you when you moved to the East Coast and you met some of these big wigs? Oh yeah, because it was. I came over with big eyes, you know. Like yeah. the first time I came over to Sydney for art stuff was for the Archibald Prize, and I got to meet all these people that I studied when I was in school. And I you were studied. a finalist. Yeah, I was a finalist. So your first time in Sydney was as a finalist for the Archibald Prize. Oh, technically no, because I lived here in Bankstown in 1995 for yeah, a year right. when yeah. I was a kid. But this is the first time as an adult and by yeah. myself and seeing yeah. the place. Uh, first time you've been by the bay, I guess. You know, <laughs> yes, you know, it certainly was. Just down there on the harbour at the art gallery, man. Yeah. <laughs> I still struggle calling it the bay. I keep calling it a river. <laughs> and then well, get corrected. It, the, the big swans. It looks just like a smaller version of the Swan River, though. I mean, you know, it's just it, you know, this big opening and then it gets even bigger and it's the ocean. Totally, and there's a bridge that goes across it. If yeah. it's not a river, what is it? <laughs> but we don't have a boathouse, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe we do. Oh, I don't know. One thing that is different is you're certainly not allowed jet skis on Sydney Harbour. They don't have a boathouse in Sydney, do they? Well, I don't know. Down by the Arkansas, New South Wales, there are plenty of really nice boats. So maybe yeah. they don't have houses for them. But they haven't got the boathouse. No, I think, no that's Abdul, I think you're talking about the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you come from a Muslim Australian family. I am. Um, three brothers. Did all three brothers get into art? Yeah, they did. Yeah, right. So, so the oldest one, Abu Karim, he uh, went into art, then mucked around for a while, drove a taxi for a few years, and then went to the Diploma of Education, and then went into teaching in juvenile justice centres, and then adult prisons, and now he runs um, tertiary education in all regional prisons in WA, so he's yeah, right. still very much involved in art. And then Abdul Rahman, the middle brother, we joke around that he was the most enthusiastic about it because... He did first year at art school five times and dropped yeah. out four times <laughs> and then eventually went back in his mid-thirties. Dropping out at art school is... To do it once is, uh, to, you know, that's that's a real enthusiastic artist, as you, as you put it yourself. Now, I've seen your brother's work. He does a lot of sculptures and stuff like that. You, your, your medium's a lot... Uh, mostly painting, uh, from what I've seen. But uh, your, your brother's done amazing wax and timber sculptures and and all kinds of stuff like that. There is a stark difference between the two brothers, though. And I've seen, I've read in interviews, you talk about this, about as young Muslim kids growing up in WA, your experience was very different to your older brothers in that he kind of was able to grow up in WA when Muslims were considered eccentric and basically like Hare Krishna. So we just don't know much <laughs> yeah. about these guys. Yeah. We see him at the corner shop. We see him, you know, in airports and that was about yeah. it. Yeah. And the irony being that, you know, you are a seventh generation Australian Muslim. <laughs> yeah. Like you've arguably been here longer than, you know, most of these people who are uncomfortable around, you know, topics of, of Islam and stuff like that. 
That is a peculiarity about me and my brothers, I guess, yeah. and me and my whole family, is that we are seventh-generation Australian. Yeah. I'm a con- direct descendant from a convict who got here in 1815 yeah. after stealing two stamps and a watch chain in London, then got deported. Um, not deported, bling. transported. Bling. Yeah, totally, a watch chain. <laughs> Don't know what he got the stamps for. but then, uh, then And he ended up dying at the Hero of Waterloo, who's, which is still there. Yeah. So yeah. I'd like to... Get kicked out of there, and as I get kicked out, complain that I've been we've been drinking at this pub for two hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> um, and your mother, Malaysian Muslim. Yeah, that's right. So the experience I was saying between you and your brother, and, and it shows in the art, I guess, is that you were a kid during nine eleven. Yeah. He, he was already a grown man, so he kind of got to grow. His formative years were a different experience. And he knew how to throw hands. Yeah, well, you're a boxer, so things were... Obviously, it's not a... Might be a bit easier. Yeah, not a typical Muslim Australian kid upbringing yeah. in the fact that you uh, also... Um, and every other kid knew that you probably lived in a boxing gym and they yeah. were like, ah, oh, you know, probably not worth saying anything. <laughs> well, at this stage, my brother had already dropped... Well, when 9-11 happened, my brother had already dropped out of art school a couple of times. So yeah. he, was, he was living a different sort of yeah. life. But, uh, but yeah, I was like 14 or 15 when it happened. So it was a really formative experience for me. Mm. So it kind of overnight... I joke around that before 9-11, I was a three Bs. I was broke, brown and beautiful. Yeah. And then after 9-11, I was existential threat. Yeah, yeah. But, and at that age especially, I don't have the, the language to articulate or mm. to understand what was... Becoming a public enemy overnight. Exactly. Like yeah, I, yeah. I'd felt it beforehand and like growing up in the suburb I did, you were either like Asian, Islander, Aboriginal or Aussie and the yeah. Aussies were the white kids. Yeah, so yeah. we never really associated with those terms. Yeah. And also even the Muslim experience in Perth is slightly different to what I found in Sydney where here it's a very Arab centric, and I don't that's I don't think that's disparaging yeah. of anyone. It's just like kind of the way that it is, and the way the migration. Well, the work. mosques as well, how they're led, and yeah, totally all yeah. the mosques are generally associated with an ethnic group. Yeah, and in Perth there is a little bit of that, but it's a smaller community, and it's a lot more like Southeast Asian. Mm-hmm. Orientated. Well, it was when I was growing up. So Cocos Islands, Indonesia. are they Muslim? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah, no, it's an official Australian flag. It's the only one that's got a crescent moon on it. Mm. The Cocos Islands, like I knew a lot of Cocos Island kids when I was growing up. And what was interesting about them is that none of them, the ones that I knew anyway, didn't know what year they were born in. So it was always, they could have been, like in primary school, they couldn't have been anywhere between eight years old and 11 years old. Like yeah, it was yeah. a strange thing. And, and there was an older guy that the family knew. Because the names get so funny because the history of the Cocos Islands and the, the slave history, it's fascinating, but the names get all twisted around. So a family friend was called Benson Bin Hedges. So it was, <laughs> it was just the things that get picked up. Benson Bin Hedges. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, two words that we hear together quite often. And so it is interesting having such a kind of – or, you know, you know, you've had a different upbringing to most artists, I guess. I know there are Muslim Australian artists out there, but – have you found yourself caring about different shit to you know a lot of people in the art world, and particularly because art is used as such a, a platform for statements and, and, and stuff like that? Do you find you know growing up in a boxing gym, Muslim family, that maybe you're kind of maybe in another world to you know your your, your average kind of. Yeah, like I can say that I don't feel as connected to that yeah. the history of that type of Australian art yeah. that's existed. Like I don't feel. That I um well appreciative is the wrong word, but I don't I don't feel that I owe them a yeah. great deal. Yeah. But when I look at other artists like Richard Bell and Vernon Arkey and Proper now, the collective yeah. Aboriginal artists from from Queensland, I see what they're doing is so much more relatable mm-hmm. than these other artists and yeah. these older artists and well, just the establishment. Yeah, yeah, the establishment yeah. is the greatest way to put it. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. 
But the interesting thing is, like, people listening at home who don't know much about art, don't know much about you, don't know much about Islam, would kind of be envisioning now this guy that just paints a lot of Muslim stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's not the case. You got in your first start as an Archibald finalist was with the portrait of Anthony Mundine, was it? Nah, it's actually kind of more Muslim stuff. So it's, uh, <laughs> I, I painted Waleed Ali. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got the ball rolling with Waleed. Yeah, totally. And then you kind of get like, I mean, also Mundine is Muslim as well. Yeah, we should yeah. be clear on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's definitely more the boxing side here. And then, of course, you, you've gone on to paint, you know, police officers from Cronulla and, uh, and all kinds of people. And you, you've got a lot of different uh, themes in your work. What has it been like with this... I mean, for one, you're an outsider because you come from WA, you know, w, WA in general. But then, and then entering these establishments like the Art Gallery in New South Wales, or, or you know, all your shows in Brisbane, what is it like with that kind of outsider status? Do you feel it when you're walking through the sandstone halls? Well, I think having that outsider status is kind of advantageous. Like I've described yeah. Perth as an incubation hub for talent. And- yeah. And maybe it meant more a few years ago when Eskimo Joe and that would want stuff, but it's sort of like... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, Jebediah. Yeah, Jebediah. <laughs> Leaving home was a great song. <laughs> Everyone in Perth knew someone from Jebediah. Well, I suppose that's... <laughs> I suppose it happens now with Tame Impala. What's your connection to Tame Impala? <laughs> My connection is that uh, one day I woke up in Fremantle on, on Kevin's couch. Never met him, but like... Apparently, I partied with one of them the night before. <laughs> there you go. Well, there you go. Pretty good connection. That's one degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. From Troy Buswell to Abdul, they all have a Tame Impala story. Yeah. <laughs> but, but being that outsider, I think I kind of look at it as an advantage yeah. because I didn't grow up in Sydney with all the bullshit around yeah. the yeah. art stuff mm-hmm. or I didn't grow up idolising particular artists. It mm-hmm. was just sort of like I kind of popped in and everything was an eccentricity for me. Everything was a novelty. So yeah. I, I got to come in with really positive vibes and not coming through the art school system here, even though I did my, my master's in Sydney, but like not coming through undergrad, I wasn't involved in any of the local sort of politics and yeah. I, I didn't yeah. know who was who. So I just went up and talked to everybody. Yeah. I mean, I said you, uh, you, you paint about a whole range of different things, but by virtue of your name, Abdul Abdullah, so much of your work gets interpreted as like radicalized Muslim stuff or, or just Muslim-specific artwork. Can you give us some examples of that? I mean, there was one high-profile kind of incident where it was like painting about com- something completely different <laughs> was uh, perceived as terrorism or, or whatever it was with yeah. the, um, the entertainers painting. Yeah, that was the collage, wasn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So yeah. I did this painting in 2013 called Entertainers, which is, looked like a balaclava head, to, yeah. be, to be fair. But it was a painting of a, like the black silhouette of somebody's head and then the eyes, nose and mouth. But one eye belonged to Beyonce, one eye belonged to Kanye West, and the mouth belonged to Madonna. <laughs> and there was a photo of me standing in front of that in the local paper in WA, so in the West Australian. And people saw my name, they saw what I looked like, and they go, well, that must be a terrorist. And they saw the balaclava head and they yeah. go, well... That must be. That looks like a terrorist, and it's a state gallery, so it's taxpayer funded. So their tax dollars are going to support terrorism. And then there was like letters <laughs> to the editor. There was complaints to the gallery, a petition to stop the show. People came in to make threats. It was just kind of an uproar. But that's been like an ongoing thing for me. Yeah. So, so even the first time I was in the Archibald, which I had no public profile at all, and even now it's a very small platform, very niche for art sort mm. of stuff. But at the time there was really nothing online. But I painted Walid Ali, and as soon as that picture got online, people saw 
the painting of him and you knew who he was, even though he wasn't on TV yet. He'd just written a book called People Like Us, which I really enjoyed. And he saw my name and the combination of my name and the portrait of him really just really pissed some people and off. And his name. Yeah, and his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the religious dress you painted him in. Yeah. <laughs> Crescent moon in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you came up there, it was like you press a button and the azan would play. And like <laughs> uh, it got a bit too Muslim for him, really. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it was just like a spider emails. And they must have looked hard to find my email address and at first it just really pissed me off and well you get the first one and you go oh this person's an idiot and then then you get like half a dozen more in that day and then half a dozen the next day and then they might have all been the same friends you know yeah. but it still it still pisses you off but it's like Walid who convinced me to, to shift directions in my practice because he knew about my political interests so he said instead of getting angry about this and you you want to add something positive to the conversation so uh, do it with your art practice and that's kind of what led me down the path that I went on yeah with that kind of backlash you get just from, you know, people at home, what do you think that is? I mean, it's, it's very hard to kind of uh, dissect in this podcast Islamophobia in Australia because it's existed ever since the uh, Ottoman Empire and Broken Hill and all that kind of stuff. But back then, for that example, I'm talking about when a couple of um, Afghan railroad workers were killed in Broken Hill during World War One in a mob kind of scenario. Um, they were armed and they were... And, and it was it was an example of homegrown Islamic terrorism, and then of course the immediate mob uh, Islamophobia. Back then, it was fueled by the newspapers. Do you find that's still the same thing here? Do you find like the the backlash you're getting in email as a young artist and you've no public profile is coming from like a conditioned kind of country that is conditioned to taking offence to this kind of stuff? Yeah, and I well from the papers, from the news, and that's yeah. my experience growing up too. Yeah. Like I often talk about the projection of criminality or monstrosity on innocent bodies to justify the unjust seizure of land, labour, and resources. Now that's a pretty I say that a lot, so that's mm. kind of sounds like a you know a soundbite, which mm. which which it is. But even I remember leading up to the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, it was very much about making people out to be the bad guy. So yeah. that you don't feel bad going yeah. in there and bombing them. And we forget, even with those two wars, like Iraq was weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. And then the, the goalpost shifts went once they weren't found. And Afghanistan was to get Osama bin Laden. And, you know, he, he wasn't there. The so, in Pakistan yeah. 15 years later, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's sort of, <laughs> well, what do you do? Yeah. How do you respond to that? I mean, the similar thing happened up in Mackay Regional Gallery. Uh, we've done our research on this one, uh, on this interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mackay Regional Gallery, you cop some flack for something that I guess anyone else could have. Errol Parker could have painted it. Clancy Overall could have painted it and people would have just walked past it. Yeah. Maybe enjoyed looking at it. Yeah. And then a man with another ethnic name, you know, took the opportunity to really, you know, score some cheap political points by, you know, ob- objecting to it. Totally. With that, with that situation, Martin Bella, former uh, Origin player, uh, we're talking about now. Now a local councillor up in Central Queensland. <laughs> yeah, far out. Oh, uh, no. I thought it was George Christensen. Well, yes, he's also Greek Orthodox. So yeah, it's, well, uh, he has a Danish surname. <laughs> what I was telling my dad about it's this. a multicultural country of people who don't like Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told my dad when I was telling my dad about all that funeral, he was like, "These Johnny come lately is telling him what to do." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seventh generation Muslim can't cop a break <laughs> so in, in that situation I had two embroideries up at an exhibition called Violent Salt at Artspace Mackay 
And one of them was called uh, We Are Young and Free, and the other one's called We All Let Us Rejoice. So they're taken from the Australian anthem, and it had images of Australian soldiers in Afghanistan, but I'd, I'd obscured their faces. So you, you couldn't tell who they were. They were like anonymous figures. So they were more symbols rather than individual people. Yeah. And then over the top, there's an embroidered smiley face. Yeah. And it talked about a few things. It was definitely critical of war and critical of the people that sent people to war, but it also talked about the difference between a perception of someone from the outside and their lived experience. And that's an ongoing trajectory in my practice. I talk about these two things, largely coming from that Muslim background and the difference between how people see me and how my actual actions and beliefs and that sort of the difference between those things and then with these soldiers, how they're seen from the Australian public but also how they're seen by people who they engage with. But essentially along the lines of, the work was along the lines of war is bad, it's bad for the soldiers, it's very bad for the people they engage with and we as an Australian public the soldiers are acting on the behest of the government, and the government's acting on behest of us. So we're responsible for them, the good and the bad. So that's what I was talking about. But How was that painting or that, that artwork perceived? I'm guessing that didn't kind of sink in with the first outraged councillor who saw it on the wall. Well, he very much saw it as an attack on the veterans, and I was having a go at, <laughs> at the RSL and things like that. And it was so frustrating because then it went on Sky News and Channel 9, and there was a Channel 9 story where they were interviewing this poor fellow from the RSL and they framed it as like that along the lines of, like, this, this is an artist attacking veterans what do you think of it and then he said that i was comparing australian soldiers to blackbirders and me being naively and ignorantly from wa like i'd i had to google that yeah, and it yeah. was it seemed like such a a yeah. long bow to put a long string to i don't yeah. know the same you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. it was an overreach yeah yeah uh, quite a large one too particularly in a country where we have a prime minister who didn't know blackbirding existed until about six months ago so <laughs> totally totally and, and then it ended up with people coming into the gallery and this is up in Mackay. i'm not anywhere near there like threatening, like physically threatening the the, the old lady volunteers at the desk. So it's just, <laughs> this is where it, it, it shit is the fan. And yeah. I really am open to different characterizations of my work and yeah. people bring different things and I find that really interesting. How but people then, uh, perceive what you've done, yeah. But yeah, yeah, then it crosses over into sort of like morons yeah. being violent yeah. or threatening violence and it goes from a conversation to like, Something that's quite sketchy. So yeah. yeah, that and I don't know many other artists who experience that sort of in shit. Australia. In yeah. Australia, yeah. yeah. So does that you know how everything's being misinterpreted? Does that by virtue of that happening in a town thousands of kilometres from where you are or where you're based or where you're from, does that then in turn give you the the, the title of firebrand? Is that, is, that, is that something you now have to deal with where it looks like all that shit that went oh, on in Mackay yeah, provocateur everything that went on in Mackay was something you wanted to happen is that is that how you get kind of perceived as well that's part of the frustration is that I'm doing like they, people perceive me as I'm doing these stunts or I'm being deliberately provocative yeah. and it's never the it's case it's activation yeah totally I'm not here Muslim to Muslim Banksy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a tag you don't want yeah. like your Oh, totally, totally, totally. <laughs> Coming up next. <laughs> but then I cop with people saying that I've been the victim mentality, and it's not, and it's not that. It's like I don't ever feel like a victim. It's just that there are heaps yeah. of idiots out there. Yeah, I think the victim here is the seventy-four-year-old volunteer <laughs> who loves to work at the Mackay Regional Gallery. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> or the the man who's got the time at like two o'clock on a Thursday <laughs> to go into an art gallery for the third time in his life and abuse someone. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but and it was such a it was, like for me, I see it as such a transparently political stunt because like they shifted that straight into arts funding yeah. and attacking arts funding, and this was a waste of money. And then using the lines of like, oh, I believe in freedom of speech, but this has gone too far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sort of, yeah, yeah. Do you think it it would be easier for the common man? to get into things like art prizes like the Archibald the Win the Sawman if you're allowed to punt on it well you are allowed you to are. punt on it and C- they do can you punt on oh, it oh yeah yeah. and we might talk you know, off the mic your off picks mic, this yeah. year <laughs> uh, or maybe when, when they release them we'll where release do you those. find these markets sports bed baby Totally, I've won a fuck like, I'm almost rich. each year in the last, <laughs> <laughs> the last decade. <laughs> He's got an uh, eye for it, mate. Uh, yeah, I guess. If you can pick the best artwork, then I guess, you know, it's then power to you. Now, look, look, not, not so much the uh, the political aspect of your work. Can you tell us something like the Archibald, how that, like, you know, uh, not every country ha- puts every all their weight on a portrait prize. Australia seems to. That's the most popular prize. It'll, it can turn you into a household name. What did that do for your career? First time, second time, third time? Like, where does that take you when you finally get that nod from the institutions? It certainly was a big jump. So yeah. I went from complete obscurity to sort of participating in the national conversation when yeah. that happened. And that's not the only way to do it in Australia, but it is. It's, it seems it's, to be... It's the fastest. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the fastest. <laughs> and if you win the thing, it's a, like, that's a big old nod. But you're right, it is a uniquely Australian experience mm. because you go anywhere else in the world and you explain to them that there's a $100,000 portrait prize that's the only thing that's in the, all the national papers. People yeah. are shocked by it and surprised yeah. by it. Like we the, go and ask famous people if they can sit down for us for an hour, and yeah. then we paint their face. <laughs> yeah, and then that's what makes us famous. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird thing. <laughs> but it's always fun. Like I used to really like, it, especially living. In, I mean, I still really like it. But when I was living in Perth, it was especially fun because it was an excuse to come over to come to this big party in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you party for a couple of days, feel like a little bit of a star in this little world, and then yeah. go home. You get to meet Sam Neill, you know, he's yeah, probably there. Totally, totally. Annabelle Crabbe's there every year. She She's always, <laughs> someone's always painted her and gets in. Yeah, you get to meet all these people you've seen on TV and, and, and like, yeah. I'm sure, Jimmy Barnes. Because in Perth, the celebrities that we have with like the West Coast Eagles and yeah, the Dockers, yeah. over here you get to see people that are on TV. Oh, <laughs> of course, there's all the members of the Western Force. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Twiggy. You should ask Twiggy if you can paint him. <laughs> A big WA painting. Or oh, Big G. Oh, Gina. Yeah. Yep. 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 Big money, Gina. <laughs> I'm sure she'd love to be painted. You know, you just have Someone to has. It. Someone does. Some, I know, people but like, paint these people. Yeah, but yeah, but she never looks like she does in, like, in the portrait, though. I mean, like, it's... Someone definitely takes a bit of art, uh, artistic liberties when they're painting. Well, I know that she's an art I fan. Mean, she's a wonderful poet. Um, exactly. <laughs> Peter is a poet. That's on a yeah. That's on a. So she's got a plaque out there somewhere near a mine um, about the need for paying people less and yeah to ignore climate change. And it was funny. Like in the nineties, all the news stories was about her. I guess her stepmom Rose Porteous and her pink house and flamingos and stuff oh, like yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Never heard anything about Gina in the nineties, but. Rose Porteous, I think, only got a couple million bucks. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. only a small story. Gina, Gina has consolidated that cash. And that's what they say. First generation makes the money, second generation consolidates it, and the third goes to art school. <laughs> well, yeah. I wish my folks had small money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You took that boxing gym money all the way to the bank. Uh, so are you working on anything now? 
I'm working. I'm going to have my first show back in Perth yeah. it, for like almost a decade in, yeah. in August with my brother at More Contemporary, which I'm really looking forward to. And then a show at Richard Co Contemporary in Malaysia in September. And I've never shown properly in Malaysia before, so that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With we, of course with your Malaysian ancestry, is that is that something that um, kind of is of note when you're over there, or are you an Australian artist? Well, I feel very much feel like I'm a tourist when I'm yeah. in Malaysia, but my ancestry is interesting. It's Boogies, so it's like a particular tribe uh, where apparently the boogeyman came from in, in English history. But I think that's oh, disputed. Really? But like, yeah, we were like it's a pretty rough group of uh, pirates, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. And all the best with the art prize. Um, I'm sure you've entered the Archibald this year, and then we'll find out uh, the winners in the next week. Yeah. Yep. But, yep. Um, all the best to everyone else who entered. And um, thank you for joining us on the Batuta Abigood podcast. Abdul Abdullah. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>